When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always, and we're finally back for another episode to go over all things Aston Villa 1, Brentford 1 at Villa Park. Um, I guess you'll hear this on the Monday, so a couple days ago, but nonetheless, I have Simon O'Regan and Tom Nightingale here with me to go over all of the action and you know what we might even throw a little bit of barrow chat in as well to kind of reference some of the youth players and kind of get a more positive spin because way too many people definitely online are very negative about a one-all draw against a team that's really absolutely flying in their debut season in the Premier League but nonetheless I'll hand over to these guys first let's go to Simon Simon how are you yeah not too bad thanks um yeah it's good to be back at Villa Park again for a second week in a row uh another sellout so, uh, yeah, and obviously you want the three points, but, you know, I'll, I'll take the draw at this stage. So, yeah, just just good to be back at football again. Yeah, absolutely. Some sort of uh, normality is probably the most important thing at this point in life. Um, I feel like I'm still in lockdown, even though I'm not. But nonetheless, I'll get out of that stage, hopefully, eventually. Let's go to Tom next. Tom, how are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Um, I mean, I think it's uh, it, yesterday was another sign. Saturday, I should say, was another sign that... Um, I think we're in for a bit of a slow start and a bit of a slow burner, really, for this season, which doesn't necessarily marry up too well with uh, fans' desire for instant gratification uh, these days. But I mean, I thought it was—I uh, thought uh, one all. I thought a draw was fair, really. In the end, Brentford. There's been a lot of talk of the fact that Brentford came to Villa Park to play for the draw. Um, I don't think they were particularly negative. I think they just knew that take a draw away from Villa Park's good result, keep their momentum going. Um, credit to them really and I mean we I'm not surprised that we struggled to break them down as much as we would have liked because you know we've got so many people on the treatment table and it's fair to say that this is certainly not the the, the first choice 11 that we would be picking as fans so uh, patience required I think yeah and I think maybe that's the one thing we all have to keep in mind their patience is a virtue especially this season um, and maybe maybe we'll, we'll just dive into that you know what um before the podcast as always we always have a little chat and the one thing that i said that i didn't want to bring up and tom said you know what we can chat about it so if we get abuse i'll stick it on tom for me getting abuse but nonetheless the whole thing is i I feel like personally as a fan base and maybe this isn't as a collective but just how i see it i feel like a lot of people feel very entitled and tom was right in saying in our little chat beforehand that i think that's kind of a i didn't say it exactly this way but maybe it's kind of a result of past success and that being last season of course and of course last season we started with what nine points out of nine i believe this season it's well a win a draw and a loss so it's completely different but there's so many different kind of levels of context that you can can put to it as well but Tom I'll come to you I'm going to put you right under fire on this one so I take kind of less of the blame but when you look at maybe not the sense of entitlement within the fan base but the level of expectation as a whole like 
where do you sit with how we've really started the season? I know we've kind of referenced injuries and the whole saga of he who must not be named. Maybe we'll just call him Voldemort for now. Um, where do you sit with it all? Well, I mean, when the fixtures came out, which I can't remember exactly when it was, like late June, maybe a bit later than that. Um, when the fixtures came out, I thought saw Watford away first game of the season and I was like, oh no. Because in my book, there's not really a harder way to start a season than a way at a promoted team. I think you could say, obviously, well, starting the season at Man City would be would be difficult. And But then the thing is, is you're expecting that to be difficult going into playing Man City. And uh, I feel like every team at the start of the season still figuring things out, figuring their formation out, new signings, how they're going to fit together as a team. But when you're playing a newly promoted team, obviously, they are absolutely raring to go for that first game. Um, make it a ter- make it a terrible atmosphere for a team to come and play in. Um, you know, looking to make their mark. So that didn't sit well with me. Newcastle at home, out of the first three, when the fixtures came out, was the one that I thought, okay, there we we have got to win that one, um, and we did. And then Brentford again, it's a difficult. You might say we're at Villa Park, and on paper, of course, like a promoted team is the kind of team you should be beating at home. Um, but I have to say, I thought talk of getting seven, nine points from those first three games was uh, rather over ambitious. Um, I was hoping for six, but four, I mean, and, you know, when I was hoping for six, this was when we didn't know that we were going to be missing Mings, McGinn, Watkins. Um, I'm missing uh, there were many, many others who, who were missing, but particularly I think those Mings, McGinn, McGinn Watkins. If you'd have said last season um, that we would still look like a decent team without any of those three players and without uh, Grealish in the side, um, I'm not sure I'd have believed you really. So I think it, it, it shows that squad depth is already on the up, definitely improving in that regard. But like we say, I mean, patience required. It's going to be a long, long time, I think, with the upcoming international breaks as well. Um, I know there's some debate over whether people, whether players are going or not there. Um, but with the upcoming international break and everything, I think it's going to be realistically end of September at the earliest by the time we have what we would call a first choice 11 on the pitch. And then obviously they start playing together. Then it takes a few more weeks to gel. It's it's going to be a slow burner. And so I think I understand that that immediacy from fans. They want to see results straight away on the pitch, particularly after last season. We, we you know, we improved so much from the season before that. Um, but football's not played on paper. And uh, so it has proven <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if only it was. Um, and if it was, Man City would probably win every game 9-0. <laughs> Just by the stats and by their three lineups, I could probably start in the Premier League. But nonetheless, Simon, how do you feel about all this? I mean, Tom made some very valid points there. And I mean, you you look at the summer, of course. Uh, this is probably the most disruptive summer I've ever seen as a Villa fan. And that probably beats our... the well, the preseason prior to our relegation, really, which just is an absolute mess. And you had about a million players going in and out the door. But where do you sit with all this? Yeah, I, I think Tom's right. Um, I, funny enough, I said a similar thing to one of my mates um, probably a couple of days ago. Uh, we were talking about Villa and the season. And I was saying that I think, it, I think it'll be probably end of September, middle of October until I think we really get going. You know, a lot of the players... I think are still quite undercooked at the moment. I mean, Matt Target is only just sort of coming back to proper fitness. Um, obviously, Ollie Watkins missed the first couple of games. 
I think the disruptive pre-season with um, like Terry and O'Kelly leaving, they had the whole greedy saga. But I think probably the biggest thing in pre-season is we had two of our games cancelled last minute, um, which you can just, I think it, it just shows, when you, you know, when you think uh, sending back to that Watford game, I think Watford started pre-season during the Euros. You know, so we still have players playing in that tournament they're back in pre-season. So I think some teams, I don't think we're as fit as we should should be and could be and will be to be honest and as I, said, I think it'll take take a while um when Tom was listening off the list of sort of injuries you got there uh, Leon Bailey I'm guessing is the one that you've got uh you've got Bertrand Troyore as well so you know there's you think yesterday with no Mings begin Bailey no Watkins and so in the last 10 minutes and Troyore that's that's five people who could quite legitimately claim to be first team players um and, you know, as Tom said, to have all those people missing and obviously, you know, Jack's no, more, you know, longer, no longer at the club. As Tom said, if you'd, have, if you'd have said last season, you go into a game with all those players out and still look relatively in control, weren't great, but I thought we were fairly comfortable throughout the 90 minutes. And there were signs, and there were signs that there were things like coming together, especially when Watkins actually came on. I thought... There's a couple of occasions him and Ings linked up quite nicely, which I think uh, is something to look forward to. So, yeah, like, like we just sort of said, I think just a bit of patience is required with uh, really, you know, we've had such a disruption. There's only three games into the season. <laughs> there's still a long way to go and I think there's a lot of encouraging signs still, definitely. With the, uh, with the players, um, the long list of players being injured, I think a great sort of way to look at that and a good example of how much we're struggling with injuries and fitness at the moment is Ashley Young, right? Because we signed Ashley Young knowing that he can play in a multitude of positions and he's incredibly fit. But I don't think we were really hoping that he was going to have played in three different positions in the first <laughs> three games of the season. Like I'm looking forward to seeing him up front against Chelsea. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was a surprise to see him lining up in, in the central of midfield. I, I don't think I've ever seen him play there before. But uh, fair play, I actually thought he did a decent job, and he's he's already proved himself to be. A, a, I mean, I think we all thought it was a smart signing anyway. And three games in, he's already shown that it was quite a good idea getting someone of of his versatility and ability in. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those signings where you almost wonder, especially at that age. We all know, of course. I mean, winning. An Italian title is no small feat within really any point of your career, especially that laid into it. And he played such a key part, but you almost wondered, is this kind of a nostalgic thing and what could this really be? And yeah, I mean, fair enough to him seeing him in the midfield. I was a little worried that we get a little bit overrun, but you know what? He held his ground. He had young Kearney Chuck, I'm going to butcher that name throughout the season. So I'll hopefully get better by May, but nonetheless, a 17-year-old in there to kind of have fresh legs and help him out. And of course, you had Dougie Louise in there as well. And as much as people kind of complain about our midfield being overrun at times, I can't really think of too many kind of instances yesterday where I thought, oh my God, we're in trouble here. The midfield can't really cope. And the only times was evidently where there is just a four, uh, a few really poor passes or just Brentford kind of trying to really get some pressure when we didn't really have to give up the ball that easily but nonetheless if I'm going to read out this injury list and I feel like tomorrow it's going to have 10 more names added on to it at this rate um, and I mean these are subject to change to any day of course so we have uh, Sanson, uh, McGinn, Mings, Ramsey, Bailey, Traore, Konza, Davis and Trez so they range from COVID to short term to long term 
uh, to what to some fans might feel like forever, to be honest, at this rate. I'm sure there'll be a secret injury two, two, two days from now or something like that that'll come out about Watkins again or something at this rate. I feel like we're the team this season that's going to have the injury bug, unfortunately. Hopefully it's only for the early portions. But nonetheless, I mean, guys, when you look at this game as a whole, of course, we can kind of dive into the first half where we can look at it as a whole. Of course, Ivan Tony opens the scoring when Dia levels up shortly after with a beautiful effort, of course. You know what? Let's actually let's go into Buendia first. I, I think he's probably one where a lot of fans, some are patient, some understand that they need patience, some with the price tag will want instant results. But Simon, I'll flip it back over to you. What did you make of his performance yesterday? The goal and just kind of his time at Villa so far? I was impressed yesterday. Um, I think uh, the Newcastle game the week before, I thought he was okay. But as he, you know, we've kind of said, he was one of those people that who had an injury in pre-season as well. So I think he was still coming back to match fitness. But yesterday, um, what I really liked about him is his, his pressing and his ability to win the ball back. I, I think I saw a stat earlier on today that he won more tackles than any other Villa player on the pitch yesterday, which from, you know, a sort of diminutive little playmaker, that's, you don't kind of expect that. Um, but he, uh, I mean, his goal was was outstanding. I mean, that that turn on the edge of the box. And I think, uh, like, from the angles, I obviously sit in the whole end, so you're watching it, he's down the other end of the pitch. And when he turned, you could maybe argue all the Brentford players backed off him, but he looked like he was going to play out wide to Cash, who was running in. And just that, I don't know, it's like a little, if he's given like a little drop of the shoulder to to throw the Brentford players off. But the intelligence for them to do that, uh, be aware of the space he's in and stick into the top corner was brilliant. Um, but that, as I said, I think the most impressive thing for me was his pressing and like from the front. I think... That's something that as he gets uh, fitter as well and gets more used to playing and with Watkins, you know, he presses, you know, Ings presses. I think that's something that's going to be really important for us going into the season. So, yeah, I think there's a, I, I think he's going to have a really, really good season with us. I mean, I, I agree, really. I think what I will say, talking about the expectations from fans um, ahead of time with Buendia, I can kind of understand why uh, there might be the sort of suggestion that he should fit in um, and hit the ground running more than perhaps most signings do because, you know, he, okay, he was in the championship last season, but he absolutely stood out for Norwich. He's played in the Premier League with Norwich already and stood out in a really poor team. So it's not like one of these, whereas like Bailey, you could maybe suggest, you know, injury aside, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Bailey, even when he comes back, I know we saw that assist on that substitute cameo um, at Watford, but I wouldn't be surprised if Bailey takes a little while to not get up to speed, but, uh, fit into the team and you know find find his way of playing. Whereas Brendia, I think you do pretty much know what you're going to get. I agree that the like the defensive side of him uh, is really great to see. Um, and I think that the, the the key thing that Simon said is when Watkins does come back. To me, Watkins is the mo- single most important player we have now to the way that we play. Um, the pressing from the front, the way he leads the line. I thought we saw it again when he came on, even in 10 minutes um, on Saturday. Um, And I think Buendia is going to be a real um, sort of right-hand man for Watkins in that approach. The pressing from the front, getting in people's faces, putting defenders under pressure. Um, And also he's just, he's clearly, Buendia has clearly got great feet and 
a real eye for a pass and a shot as we saw yesterday. Um, but it's that vision, I think, um, that he brings, whether he's in a central role or he's playing out wide. Um, and I thought yesterday he was he was far improved. I didn't think he played badly at all, but yesterday I thought was a big, big improvement and I, hopefully a real sign that he is starting to settle and not only settle, but I think what's going to be important for Brendier is he has to, um, almost in the way that sort of Grealish did, he has to embrace being a main man. He has to want the ball all of the time and he has to thrive on the fact that he probably, as the season emerges, is going to, as the season continues, sorry, he's going to emerge as, I think, a prime target for defenders in a similar way to, you know, what we've seen with Grealish for years. Um, I think teams are very quickly going to realise that Buendia is a real creative sort of hub for us um, in attacking midfield. And so what we need is just, we need him to thrive on that rather than sort of buckle under the pressure. And I have full confidence in him that that is what we'll see. Well, that's a good point. The one thing that I did want to bring up here quickly about him and what I like about him so much is, well, I guess two things. The one thing yesterday, like the physicality and just roughness of the game got completely out of hand. The referee didn't know how to handle it really from get go of the second half. Like it was just absolutely if you're looking for an example, it's basically like classic Stoke versus classic Burnley, like just kicking the crap out of each other. That's how I kind of sum up that second half, to be honest. And everything was really let go to a ridiculous standard. But the one thing I did like about Buendia, he wasn't afraid to get in a challenge. He wasn't afraid to get stuck in. And I'm pretty sure, and I'm not tall, I'm only five foot eight, and I'm pretty sure he's shorter than me if I'm thinking correctly smaller players don't always like to get into the physical battles and he's not afraid. And he has a little bit of spice and a little bit of anger to him. And I like that when he gives a little bit of a push off after a few instances, the other thing I noticed was the amount of times he would help out Matty cash on that right flank yesterday. And Tom, the whole thing about Ollie Watkins that I agree with so much. And I feel like he's that missing link that evidently, whether it be him or Ings that can, you know what, if Buendia does have to track back to help out Matty cash, well, if you have either Watkins or Ings being able to track back, also kind of provide that link up in the middle and the other one making the run, that's what we're really missing. And I, I think that's why a lot of people looked at maybe Danny Ings' performance aside from the assist and thought, well, we didn't really see much of him yesterday. It's We're just missing that middleman right literally in the middle to be kind of a one-two, a support off of him. It's, it's hard. It's kind of a lonely life when you're up there by yourself and trying to make really uh, a creme brulee out of mince meat really i guess is some kind of <laughs> example that i don't know that's not really a good I, that, that just came out of my mind there's really weird things in my head but anyways nonetheless let's get I, over I, just, I think yeah. i was just gonna say i think like the one with watkins and ings what we have seen i think i know we haven't seen them together at all until 10 minutes the last 10 minutes yesterday but ings has done quite a lot of the uh like you say it's a lonely life sometimes up front when you're on your own and yeah uh, he, but he's done a lot of the hard graft work that you just do not really get credit for um unless you have that standout moment like you know pulling out a bicycle kick on your home debut um but he does a lot of the stuff that Watkins does and that we praise Watkins for like the running in the channels the picking the ball up and bringing it back inside um in, you know that support work I think is why well, it's Clearly, it's crucial. And Watkins and Ings, I think, are going to be quite a sort of um, complementary front two for one another. Um, the main concern, the only real main concern for me is, you know, if you have Watkins, Ings, Buendia, probably Bailey when he's fit, like, does your midfield two uh, sustain that level? But I think what we've been talking about, Watkins, clearly Ings as well, and Buendia are, 
uh, are willing to do a lot of the tracking back and a lot of the defensive work, which I think will really complement um, that system and is going to help out our midfield, which I think we can all agree um, is only for the best. Yeah, for sure. The, and the one thing also that I wanted to actually bring up now, I think about it. And I mean, we only saw like 10 minutes of Watkins and Ings working really together, but they worked really well for 10 minutes, to be honest. The one that kind of springs to mind is I think there was a quick break down the left. And I think it was Watkins uh, flipping it over to Ings on the right flank. Um, and you know what? It didn't really lead to too much, but it was a half chance that arguably if that was most other players, I don't really think that would have linked up. But let's get over to Carney Chukameka. Hopefully I don't butcher this the whole time. And I'm sorry, Carney, if you ever listen to this, I, you seem like a nice young kid and I don't mean to butcher your last name, but nonetheless, I mean, a 17-year-old, in my opinion, playing like a 27-year-old, he looks like he's been there for absolute years. Um, The amount of times I'd see him raising a hand for a pass, saying he's there, you can hear him, um, wasn't afraid to be in a kind of tight spaces, take on players. I mean, Tom, I'll throw it right back to you. I mean, one hell of a performance for a debut, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, uh, we. I want to be careful with overhyping our young players too much because everybody knows that we've got a whole raft of really great young talent and I think sometimes the burden of expectation can weigh quite heavily but with Chukwu Maker I think it is it is fair um I thought he looked just completely at home really just like you say it's, it's a very good way of putting it he's 17 he looks like he's 27 he looks like he's been playing at this level for years um what I did, you know, I thought I thought for the first maybe 20, 30 minutes, um, he was clearly adapting to the pace of the Premier League. I think, you know, in, in the youth games, he's very used to getting the ball and having time for two, three, four touches in the way that you don't necessarily get in the Premier League. So he was caught on the ball a couple of times early on. Um, but, you know, if that's the worst thing that you're saying about a 17-year-old's first Premier League start, then it's gone pretty well, hasn't it? And I, I agree, Cole. I think that's a great point. What what you just love to see is he just he wants the ball. He wants to get involved. He's not afraid to get stuck in a bit, and that will that will come. You see this with a lot of kids where they come in, and I mean, he's already um, he's already you know clearly pretty strong and and, and relatively re- relatively physical as well as technically an excellent player. But I think that's something that that, that comes like by I think January February time. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him sort of holding players off the ball and, you know, the one, two touch passing um, because it's something you just have to get into a rhythm right in the premier league um, in that regard, I think, but I mean, what an accomplished performance. And we've been considering the biggest, one of the biggest debates that we've had on the podcast. And also just, I think the fan base in general, particularly on social media has had all summer is about our midfield whether we need a new defensive midfielder, whether we need a box to put, you know, a box to box player, whether McGinn and Louise uh, are good enough as a starting two, and we have good enough rotation options, we are going to see Carney play a lot of minutes. I think this year, um, even though we've got a lot of people coming back to coming back to fitness, and when everybody's fit, we've got a pretty decent selection of midfield options now. Despite you know the conversations we've had around signings, um, I think Chuck Maker is going to fit into that as certainly a semi-regular piece um and uh, you know I, I think we're going to see a lot of minutes and i think he deserves you know he deserves to have those opportunities because he's grabbed all of his opportunities so far with both hands right yeah i i'm a massive fan of his um i remember 
the FA Youth Cup last season, I think they beat Newcastle in the quarterfinal 6-0 or 6-1 and he got a hat-trick in it. That was the first time that I'd properly watched him. And I was just watching thinking, why is this kid playing uh, under-23s football? Yeah, right, I don't like remember... A- it's like a man in a boys game, isn't it? It, it? it really was, which is ridiculous to say about a seventeen-year-old. Um, I, I just, you know, watched obviously the then the semi-final, the final, and I kind of thought, well, next season he's either going to have to be getting minutes in our first team, or he'll need to go out on loan to like a championship team because there's no point in him playing under twenty and under twenty-three football because he's just so far beyond that level. I agree, like what Tom said, you, you don't want to. Don't want to go too crazy too quickly on a, on a youngster and you, like put too much pressure on them and have too much expectations. But there's just some. I, th- I think there's something really special about this player. I mean, there's there's a reason that um, you know the likes of I think it's like Dortmund, United, and Bayern Munich were sniffing around him uh, before he signed the contract with us, and the same with Finnegy and Bites as well. I'm sure we might get onto a bit later, uh, but Chukamaker. I remember the uh, the preseason friend against Warsaw. I went to that, and obviously lies quite near uh, the pitch. I just I, I couldn't get over the size of him. I'm thinking this lad's 17 years old, and he's absolute unit. And as you say, like, I think he'll as the season goes on, the more minutes he gets, <laughs> like scary. I think he can still probably develop physically and like fill out a bit more and just get that strength to hold uh, people off and. Um, yeah, I thought yesterday he didn't do anything like outstanding, but is I kind of remember thinking it was similar to um, when Jacob Ramsey <clears throat> last season played. I think the Wolves game he came in for his first start, and again didn't do anything outstanding in that game, but just looked comfortable, like just looked like he can he belongs playing at that level. And there was a couple of occasions I think you sort of touched on it earlier as well, where he's happy to receive the ball with like two players immediately on him and he can just turn away from them he'll, he'll he'll give it back or a bit of skill his footwork's great and um yeah i think the obviously we've sent a few of the young players out on loan but i i'd be very well i don't think it will happen now but i think him and um finishing by this i i especially we've been able to have nine people on the bench this season i i think they're going to get quite a few minutes this season and as as you were saying about potential signings I would, I would rather have a space in our squad for him, for Carney to get minutes and develop than go out and spend 15, 20 million, 25 million on someone who's just going to block that. Like, what, we've got a, a great youth team. There's no point having it if you're not going to then have a pathway for them into the first team. So, again, again that would require patience, like we sort of said earlier. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Carney. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the patience side of it as well, like... Um, talking about the immediacy of fans and that you, you know you want instant gratification when you know well, I, I think we all watched quite a lot of the youth team last year um, more so certainly more so than in previous years because you know you heard about these kids or you maybe saw the odd game and you know the standouts people like Carney, Louis Barry um, I remember with like when Carney was uh, standing out really particularly towards the end of last season right in the the run-up to the youth cup final and in the and, and, the under 23s league um and he was standing out there and there are fans really imploring smith and the coaching staff to chuck him into the first team like straight away they're like this you know this kid's way too good for the under 23s why isn't he in our first team right now and i remember thinking at the time like 
there is no way that there that we don't have a pathway over the next you know going back to maybe like march of last year there's no way that over the following six months from march of last year like our coaching staff hadn't earmarked a path for chuck maker to get into the first team because he's clearly so many levels above most of the players he was playing against and probably most of the players he was playing with in the under 23s so it's one of those that you just have to trust the process i think like i understand fans were like oh he's really he's really shone in the fa cup quarterfinal on saturday i want to see him in the first team and it's like well just be careful with chucking him in like immediately chucking him in no pun intended um but there was clearly going to be a pathway for him to get into the first team. And I think we've seen that already. Like it was, I think it was quite clear now that the plan was over the summer, fully integrate into first team training, surround him with these first team players, get him to let, you know, make sure he gets to know them as personalities and people as well as footballers. Cause that's a big part of it that is overlooked. I think is that assimilation into the first team setup. Um, and it's one of those things now, I think we've seen already that if you just, you got to trust the coaching staff to do their job. Like there's no way they're not going to have identified him as a standout youth player. Um, and I think we're already reaping the rewards of that. And it's going to be very interesting when we do get back to a point where we have a fully fit midfield, like McGinn's back, uh, you know, Ramsey's back, even Sanson, if he ever surfaces from, you know, wherever he is, <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see where the coaching staff sort of rank Rumeka, I guess, in, in our list of midfielders. For me, I think he's probably, I don't think this is, it's not going to be his last start. I think maybe against teams that you would say are a little bit weaker in midfield. I think he's got a good chance. Like we've been seeing a lot with Ramsey where he starts quite a lot of those games, um, which by the way, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge fan of Ramsey's. And I think that Chuck Rumeka is likely to follow a similar path. Um, so I think I wouldn't be surprised if he ends the season on about, you know, 20 appearances or something like that you know mixture most probably mostly from the bench but a few more starts rolled in add to that hopefully well I mean Chelsea away we'll see but if we can put a cup run together in at least one of the cup competitions then I think he'll be a central figure in those games um it's just great to see isn't it like, it's just great to see well I mean and I said this on Twitter and I can't remember if it was on my account under the 7500 account but uh, we're gonna do the double over Chelsea in the next few weeks so don't you worry about that um we got them in our back pocket. I'm only kidding. I'm not that arrogant. Maybe only sometimes, but nonetheless, I, I think the one thing that I d- did want to quickly bring up before we move on to um, Algazi and to Nzebe, because I think we can kind of package those two together in a conversation is I, I think after, and you know what, I'll say his name after Jack Grealish left, I almost feel like we kind of needed to have some kind of peripheral figure or vision around these youth players. I mean, we've seen the Academy go from, arguably nothing to a hundred percent almost efficiency within what for what it feels like i mean i guess proof will be in the pudding in a few years but it just has grown and escalated and really just kind of become something massive so quickly and i feel like with losing your peripheral figure and now you have what uh looking at it, you have chequameka yesterday of course on the bench you had phil gene biden's you had what archer and uh, ramsey as well obviously jacob's younger brother it's it's something that's encouraging and something to look forward to. And I'm so glad it just wasn't another case of Villa selling their, one of their best assets, or in this case, their best asset. And then, Oh, well, we'll just, that that's, that's it. Nothing's going to happen. There's been clear action. There's been clear ideas, decisions made months and years in advance. And I think that's the one thing to kind of differentiate years gone by. And you know what, we might lose some players that we love over season by season or whenever but 
there there's actions and there's ideas and thoughts actually being put into these moves and i think that's the thing we all kind of have to keep in mind it's not just negativity anymore it's actually a, a bit of positive thought put into something for once which is nice and to have people around the club that actually know what they're doing so i think we all have to kind of keep that in mind too but let's get over to uh on ragazi and axel Tuanzebe. of course Tuanzebe comes in for the in, in, in uh, injured mings i'm gonna start getting ings and mings all mixed up too so i'll never try to say those two names together but nonetheless you had Tuanzebe step in for him in my opinion, didn't like really like he missed a beat, stepped in, didn't really have any issues. And then Algazi, of course, um, against Barrow, he was just the Dutch Ronaldo. We all know that he has those kind of games, of course. I think, was it two goals and two assists or something like that? Was a little bit kind of hit and miss um, in the first half, probably for the first 25 minutes or so. And then, again, just put on that arrogance again, got a little risky and arguably was one of the biggest threats in some kind of instances that uh, some people thought, I thought he was all right. Maybe he could have done a little bit better, but that's always all gauzy. But Simon, I'll, I'll flip it back over to you. What did you make of these two and their performances yesterday? Transabe, uh, I think like you said, he, he just looked relatively comfortable. I thought the game against Barrow in midweek, I thought that he, he looks a little rusty, but I mean, he's he hasn't played an awful lot of football over the last couple of years, really, uh, at United. So, and that's probably to be expected. But yesterday, he, he looks a lot more comfortable. Um, I mean, Ivan Tony, other than the goal, I don't, I don't really remember him doing an awful lot. And I think that's largely down to Transabe and Konza. I thought they, they just marshaled him pretty well. And then El Ghazi, I mean, El Ghazi's El Ghazi, isn't he? Like, he's one of, he's a, he's a real, he's a real enigma, I think, as a player. Um, I mean, we've, we've all countless times on the pods sort of hummed and hard about, yeah, how do you feel about him? He, he's just, I, I do like him. I think he offers a lot. And yesterday you kind of, it was him in a nutshell, really. I thought the first half, didn't really think he was involved in the game a bit much, uh, too much. In the second half, he got booking and I was a bit nervous. He looked like he was in one of his angry moods and I thought, well, you, you could go here. But I think it kind of fired him up a bit because I, I, I was kind of thinking about the, with half an hour, 25 minutes to go, I was I was thinking we should probably take him off and maybe sit Watkins out down the left because I, I just thought he's going to get himself sent off. But it seemed to actually work out in a positive way and it seemed to fire him up a bit. And then he he started like running at the right back and taking him on and beating him on a few occasions. So yeah, it was, I mean, I don't think he's, when everyone's fully fit, I don't think he's going to start. Uh, he wouldn't be, I don't think in most people's first choice 11 when everyone's available. But as as we've said before, I think as a player to have in the squad, for the you know the amount of goals he gets in a season, you can't really complain too much. He's just one of those, just one of those players that I think people have real love hate relationships with, isn't he? It is, yeah. it's, it's one of those where it seems to be very hard to hold like any kind of middle ground opinion on him. Um, having said that, that's my opinion. That's my opinion of him is the the, the middle ground. I like. I don't know. He puts in he puts in one hell of a shift, which obviously I know that that's not the be all and end all. Like you do need quality to go with that. But I mean, he's 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 not a bad player, is he? Like he's clearly not a bad player at all. Um, I thought yesterday was he was he was pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was a comfortable sort of seven out of ten performance from him yesterday. Um, put in a lot of effort. 
was a bit unlucky. I think it was, was it, oh, I can't remember, was it El Garza who crossed to Watkins at the back post for that, for that header? So, you know, like if, if on another day, it's a hard, very hard header to score from that angle. I thought Watkins did really well to get over it, get the power on it. But another day, you know, El Garza's provided the, the match winning assist right at the end of the uh, end of the game. And it's another decisive contribution from him. It's just, I don't know. I, I, he's, he's one of those that I like him a lot as a guy. Um, I think he's a, a solid player. And if we're in a position where, I mean, I wouldn't want him as my first choice winger and not in a horrible way. I just want, want to think, I'd like to think that we're better than that now, really, without being too harsh to him. But what I will say is that if you have, if we end up in a position where everybody's fit and say we play Ings and Watkins up front, we play Brendier out right and Bailey on left or you know whatever it is, to ha- be in a position where you have El Ghazi and Traore as your like backup wingers, that is not at all a bad position for, let's face it, let's be real about it, a mid-table Premier League side to have like that. And those are pretty good options, really. Um, there's a the reason that, you know, we've heard all, heard all summer or in recent weeks that, you know, teams like Roma are potentially interested in signing El Ghazi is because I think you know that you, you know what you're going to get pretty much unless like, it goes into one of his angry moods. Um, what I did like about yesterday is we got to, we got quite late in the second half and you could tell that, it was almost like El Ghazi realised that he hadn't cut inside and shot from 25 yards yet. So he thought, oh, God, I've got to whack one of those out. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a solid player, isn't he? Um, and he provided some excellent entertainment value at Barrow, didn't he? So, <laughs> uh, You know what? It's instances like that. Some people think it's cocky. I just think it's hilarious, to be honest. It, it, it's someone having fun. And the one thing that I, I did love about him yesterday and one of my favorite things in the whole battles really about the day was him and Sergi Canos just going at each other constantly. And you know what? He has a little bit about him on his day. He can be a little bit tricky. He can be very frustrating, but that's a winger. I mean, they're consistently inconsistent. So it's kind of honing their craft in that kind of perspective. And seeing the likes of Roma linked with him for 15 million, what did we pay? 5 million for him a few seasons ago? You're, you're tripling your money. So at the end of the day, obviously he's in demand. He's doing something right if people want him and other teams want him. So clearly he's an asset that we can keep. And you know what? If he comes off the bench and Maybe it's another, and maybe this isn't the best example, but I always think of um, Project Restart against Newcastle. Elmo comes on, scores, um, kind of gives a little bit of a, I don't know what he was saying to Dean Smith, basically. Why would you ever sit me out is kind of what I kind of got from it. And you know what? If he comes on and produces and does something like that, then he's hungry. And we need hungry players to come off the bench and produce. And I think that's one of those other things when you look at it and kind of see what the squad is now. And it's so much more deep. It's not just one player and, oh, if he's done, we're screwed. It's okay. We have option A, B, and C. And I think that's the one thing to go off of. But Tom, did you want to say something? I mean, he's clearly, the other thing I will say is that, okay, it's only one, it's only one facet of it. And obviously you have to have the on-field ability and everything to go with it. Um, but he's clearly a hugely popular guy as well in the dressing room. Like you look at anytime he converts one of his ice cold penalties or whatever, and is is um, you can see that you can see that his teammates are just like thrilled for him. And I think in, in the past, you know, we've had that. I won't go over this too much, but you know, we had that stuff on social media where he's getting quite a lot of abuse, and then I think he deactivated his Twitter account for a while. And uh, you know, it's it takes a lot of character, I think, to not only to continue to want to play for the club, but to want to prove your doubters wrong and also just be a really reliable squad player. Like he's been in and out of the team for several years now. 
Um, he's enjoying a run at the moment, but I think even in the back of his mind, he knows that unless he really turns it on and hits an incredible run of form, I think he realistically probably knows even in his own mind that when everybody else is fit, starts are going to be a lot harder to come by for him than they are now. And it, it but he's just, he seems like a really sort of faultless professional. And I think that that sort of stuff does go a long way. It's not necessarily on its own a reason to keep a player around if they are simply not performing on the pitch. But I think it's the kind of thing that maybe elevates like a six out of 10 player to like a 7.5 out of 10 player is the impact that they can have on their teammates and on and dressing in the dressing room. And he's somebody that, you know, certain jobs you can, you can call on him um, and the end product might not always be there, but he's sure as hell going to put that effort in. And so, you know, I just, I find it hard to dislike him. Um, but again, I, you know, when everybody else is fit, I think he's firmly a backup option. So. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. More than fair enough. Um, guys, let's, let's get over to our uh, man of the match or match balls. I feel like we've called it a different number of names over the years, but nonetheless, it's, it's the same thing. So Simon, I'll put you under the hot seat first. Who was your man of the match? Uh, see, I, was, I was thinking about this, um, but this might be left field choice, but I'm going to go Douglas Louise. I, I thought he, I, I thought he did a really good job of, um, just sort of breaking the play up in the middle of the park. He 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 looks a lot more like the Louise we saw in Project Restart and the first six months of last season. I, I, I thought he's obviously had a, a good summer winning the Olympics with Brazil. And I think he's come back uh, just with a bit of renewed confidence. I think he, he sort of suffered a bit in the second half of last season, as to be honest, the whole squad did really. But um, I, I was really impressed with him yesterday. So I thought he broke up the play and... I, th- I think he was uh, a real help for Chuck and Mike actually setting in inside midfield. So, yeah, I'm going to go Douglas Louise. Fair enough. Tom, how about you? Uh, I'm probably going to go for the um, soft, cho- softer choice. And I- I'm going to I'm going to say Buendia because, um, I mean, he was our major difference maker, I thought. Um, excellent goal. Like we said, just looks a lot better and is really growing into his role. And by role, I mean both on the pitch and the role that I think he's, he symbolizes for us off the pitch this season, which I sort of touched on earlier, which is that I think he is certainly one of those players that fans are going to hold up as a real talisman this season and a real difference maker. Um, and he does look like he's really starting to embrace that again, clearly already very popular um, on the training ground in the dressing room. And I thought yesterday he was excellent. Um you know, there's still there's still room for improvement, but we are only three games in. And also, you got to bear in mind that playing playing alongside better players makes you a better player. And when he has Watkins on the pitch, maybe when Leon Bailey is integrated, certainly when we're putting out what we consider to be our first choice midfield, whatever you would say that is, McGinn, it'd be still be McGinn and Louise for me. Um, I think he's only going to get better. He's going to grow into it. Um, and I think uh, yesterday was the first real real sign of the level of quality player that we have on our hands with him really so i mean he's one that i'm certainly excited about um so i'll go for him well i'm gonna copy tom not just because um i i like tom and i want to copy him but just because i agree with him um the player ratings i posted um early this morning i guess i gave emmy bundia the man of the match and that's not just because of the goal. I mean, it was a great goal and it's good to see him get off the mark and hopefully that adds to his confidence. But the one thing that I did like, and I brought it before is he's very good on both 
sides of the ball defensively and moving forward as well. And I, I think that's one thing that can go a little bit underrated at times with some players. A, a lot of people will look at an attacking talent like him and say, well, you should be staying forward. Why are you getting back? Well, you know what? A good player can do both and still excel and score goals. And of course he hasn't let the world alight in three games. And let's keep that in mind. It's been three games. So Let's uh, if you want to count preseason, okay, we can add more to his stats. Of course, we can add the Walsall game in there. There's two assists there if you want to get that picky. But nonetheless, I have to give it to him. Um, hopefully, it does well for his confidence going forward. And uh, yeah, I just I'm so glad it's an international break right now because hopefully we can have some players heal up and we can pick some other players to be man of the match going forward. Because yeah, it, it's getting very slim pickings for a squad that actually has depth now, and that's not always the greatest thing to see. But nonetheless, guys, shall we get over to the Villa version of Who Am I? Or do you guys have any if anything else I should say that you want to bring up? I was just going to say, you've, uh, when you're talking about inter- the international break, one thing, we haven't talked about this before we recorded the pod, so I'm just going to drop this on you guys. But I'm interested to know your opinions, because now, I don't know, certainly from what I've understood the last like 24 hours, 48 hours or so, it sounds like all Villa may well let Emi Martinez and Emi Buendia go on Argentina duty. That's certainly the impression I get, and I think I'm, uh, I think I'm as it stands on, what is this, Sunday morning? Um so I'm interested to know your opinions on that because, like, obviously, from a in terms of uh, our starting lineup and our team, that is far from ideal, far from ideal. Um, but th- it, it seems to me that it's a really tricky situation. I think because in Martinez and Buendia, they are two of the players that you're looking at as being really in, in you know integral to the team this season. Um, I think quite big personalities in the dressing room, very well respected, and the kind of player that we are looking to build any success off so i mean you do want to obviously you want to keep them happy and it's really difficult i think because when diaz broken into the argentina squad martinez has established himself as number one like pretty recently obviously copa america um and then with a the world cup on the horizon if i was if i was martinez and Buendia, i would want to go and I know that's a hard truth to swallow, like as a Villa fan, because there's that whole thing. I'm I am club over country every day from a fan's point of view, but you have to really accept, I think, that for two players who play for a mid-table Premier League side, particularly for Martinez, who is Argentina's number one, playing at a World Cup or being a you know a sort of long-standing number one for a country like Argentina is probably. Um, how should I put this? Probably the more the pinnacle of your ambition than being number one for a mid-table Premier League side. So I mean, as the, I know, the Premier League said that they, you know, cl- I think it's, so. I think it's that clubs have the right to stop their players going. But I'm getting the impression that certainly from Martinez's tweets, I think, or his social media posts, it sounds like it sounds like they're going. And so it's difficult, isn't it? Like, do you for the bet for the for the better of the team in the short term, do you try and stop them going? so that they can then be here for the Chelsea game. They don't have to quarantine when they come back. Because then the other thing is that if, if they if they go to all of Argentina's games over the next few months, I think I saw something that says that with the current quarantine rules, they're on the hook to miss 11 or 12 games this season. It's like nearly a third of the season. And that, as a Villa fan, that prospect horrifies me. But then it's also a pretty big call as a club to say to Argentina's number one goalkeeper who's just broken in, just got to the Copa America final 
and is very highly regarded by their team and their manager and their country. It's a very big thing to say to him, no, you can't go with a World Cup on the horizon and, and carry on playing for your country. So, I mean, I'm interested to know where you guys stand on that. For me, I think the club just have to say to them, I'm, I'm really sorry, but you're not going. Um, the, the Premier League, I think they, I don't know, I thought they originally came out and said that players just, it'd be, it's a blanket, will, are not, will not be allowed to go. I didn't know that they put the onus on the clubs. If that's the case, that's wrong. The Premier League need to come out and say, like, categorically, you can't do this. Um, I get I get the arguments you make from the players' point of view. Obviously, they'll want to go. But you just said there, you, if, no, there's possibly 11 games that they could miss. There's there's just no way the club should allow, can allow that to happen. As, as horrible as it is, you just got to accept that these are, you know, a very, very unusual circumstances and it's just one of those things. I, I just, it's a difficult one, but I think this is, the um, the club have to take a stand here, but I'm pretty sure Dean Smith, the press conference he did on Friday before the game, I'm sure he said that he'd he'd spoken to them to a marvellous Nakamba who'd fallen into that category as well, going away from Barbara, that, you know, that they wouldn't be allowed to go and he seemed to like give the impression that they were kind of okay with that decision. So I'm not sure if anything officially has changed or anything, but from my point of view, as as unfortunate as it is, the, the club just have to say, you, we will not, no, you, you can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm the one, one thing I will say is I might be, I'm not entirely sure about the sort of intricate details of it. So I don't know, like, if it's fair for me to say that the Premier League has put the onus on the club. So I think the Premier League has said that, no, well, I don't, I don't know. Cause I, 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 I was the same as you. I thought that it had been basically decided and players were essentially banned from going. But like, for example, I, I'm, I knew that I'd seen a quote from Smith. I've just found it uh, while you've been talking. It said, Smith said, I believe yesterday we've sat down with them, Emmy and Emmy and told them that the Premier League are banning players going from our, going to Argentina. So we've told them we don't want them to go. I don't know what their plans are, but they certainly know what our wishes are. So, I mean, that even in itself sounds, it almost sounds self-contradictory because it sounds like Premier League has banned players going from Argentina, but that really makes it sound like if Martinez and Brendia insist on going, they, they, they're still going to go. Yeah. yeah. Tough one. It, like, see, this is how I look at it. Like, you can kind of, I, I can understand where both sides are coming from. Maybe, we like, we don't know all the details. We're just kind of hypothesizing at this point. But, like, I look at it. Maybe there's a deal in place where they go this time. They can't go for X number of other call-ups. I don't know. I still think it's mental. They're still doing travel during all this. And it's just, like, I get you have to get some normalcy kind of back in life. And competition must go on and i feel like a broken record saying this and i know vaccines are out there and but some countries they're still struggling to even get the bare minimum i still think it's mental they're having people travel all over the world for like three games but nonetheless uh you can't let them go maybe that's us us feeling kind of selfish or kind of seeing for the betterment of the club but personally i look at it from a global standpoint it's for the betterment of the world that people stop traveling all over the place for minimal games that arguably in some instances mean nothing. I mean, yeah, that's like, that's the, certainly the bigger point, isn't it? I agree with you. I think it's like, I think it's ridiculous that 
they would go. But if they're well within their rights to go, I can understand them wanting to go. We have Jed Steer anyways. You know, (laughs) he'll stare everyone into some kind of level of fear, especially Mason Holgate. So honestly, the way that the way that Ashley Young's been dotting around the pitch, I wouldn't expect to see him. uh, Wouldn't be surprised to see him don the gloves for uh, for for Chelsea. Um, I I still see Agile. I just sent you then um, Martinez yesterday after the game, a, a, a hard fought point this afternoon. Now on to Argentina. Um, maybe he's only watching them. Maybe that's maybe, what he means. <laughs> maybe that is what he means. Um, anyway, it's just that it's a really, it shows it's a really difficult situation. I think maybe uh, to bring it back to sort of a more Villa fan point of view, like obviously I'd, I, I wouldn't want them to go from the club point of view. I'm just saying I could understand them wanting to go. Um, but I guess one thing is that it's almost sort of, the price of success right as a club like we have these players now who are regulars for their for their country um all across the world and that brings with it a whole host of difficulties really and it's if we want to be the kind of club where we're looking at european qualification but even aside from the, the where we finish in the table if we want to be a club that fills itself with you know international stars has a team of you know brazilian argentine argentinian english african internationals like these are the these are some of the difficulties that you're going to have to navigate. Um, so I mean, it's just a shame that we're having to navigate this at the same time when half of the bloody squad is injured, isn't it, really? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I figured it out, guys. Of course, agent Emmy Martinez brought Emmy Buendia, so maybe the deal was he'd go away for a few international games if he brought Buendia to the club. I think I've figured out the whole kind of Rubik's cube of this whole move. So. Hopefully, if, that's if, he'd, if he'd have brought Messi to the club, I'd have been more. <laughs> you can go to every game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, let's get over to the uh, the guess who because I know that'll take a little while. So I, I do not want to keep everyone for too too much longer. Of course, if you're new to the podcast or you haven't listened in a little while, or if you just want a refresher on the rules, of course, there's going to be three players, so three rounds. Um, of course, per round, um, I'll say kind of one question. Uh, these guys will get one guess per round. We'll go from there. They get more obvious as they go. Um, Simon will probably get all of them after the first guess because he is the head of knowledge um, in this parish. But nonetheless, uh, let's get into it. And once again, I must say, I kind of say I did this. I did that. I do not take on the personality or the persons of this uh, thing. I'm just having some fun so i don't have multiple personalities just saying anyways uh let's get on to the first one i was born in uh haver ford west wales um on may 13th 1976 making me 45 years old now i i actually uh this i'm i can get this one after one clue i'm pretty sure um and it's because uh a we haven't had that many that many Welsh players, but also as a little quirk of a thing. My birthday is May 13th. Oh. So this is just something that I've known because he was playing for Villa when I started watching Villa. I believe it is uh, former right back Mark Delaney. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I shouldn't have picked that one off the top of my head. Okay. <laughs> well, fair enough. Simon, did you know that? Uh, that would have been my guess. That's the oh. only Welsh player I can think of. At that <laughs> <Yeah, age. laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay. That was a really cruddy one. James Collins just thought of a second Welsh player, but that's uh big ginge. Hope he's doing yeah. well. But anyways, okay. Well, that, that went way quicker than I thought. So we might fly <laughs> through these. I thought that might be the second hardest, but uh, you know what? I thought this one might be even easier, but nonetheless, we've had a number of these, but uh, let's go to round two. I was born in uh, Lifford, Ireland. On the 20th of April, 1976, again, aged 45. 
or he is 45 now. He wasn't age 45 when he was born. Sorry, I should reclassify that. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah, no problem. Oh, man. We've had so many Irish that's people. That's the thing. Naming a, naming a Welsh Villa player is considerably easier than naming us. Yes. Pass around one this Villa time. Player. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've got there's a few names in mind, but they, they'll be at, they're older than 46. So that's, that can't be right. Um, I'll, I'll need a guess in the next five seconds. Oh God, nah, no, pass. Nah. Uh, well, Steve Staunton, but I know that's not right. Okay, Tom, what, how about you? What year was he born again? Uh, 1976. So he's 45. No, pass. I don't know. Okay, yeah, pass. fair enough. You know what? If you guys would have got it on this one too, I think I would have just packed up and not even ended the recording. We could just leave it for another week. But anyways, um, let's go to uh, clue number two. Um, actually, yeah, we'll tie these in. Um, I began my youth career at Celtic from 1991, staying till 1994. I then started my senior career in 1994, uh, with Blackburn Rovers making two appearances, uh, between then and 1997. Um, after the, well, in between that time, I should say, um, I've had two loan spells at Swindon town and Sunderland. Oh God, this is a good one. Bloody hell. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's so obvious, but it's because I know. So I, I, I have, I wow. Well, I can only think of the next one's going to give it away. So I've thought of a reasonable guess, but I can't work out if I don't know what. what have a go. Of his career. Danny says Simon Dawkins when he doesn't know. So just have a go. <laughs> oh, uh, God, going to make myself sound really stupid. It's not um, Shay Given. Oh, okay. Well, he, he got it. So. <laughs> Nice, well done. <laughs> the the next the next one was literally um I was at Newcastle United from 1997 to 2009. I feel like that would have given it away. Yeah. Then had a two year <laughs> stay at Manchester yeah. City, where then I then moved to Aston Villa for four years between 2011 to 2015, uh, with a loan spill at Middlesbrough from 13 to 14. In between that time, uh, then I spent two years at Stoke City, which I didn't even realize he did that. So fair I didn't enough. know. <laughs> My main thing was I didn't know if he'd played for. I didn't know if he started his professional career at Newcastle. Like, I wasn't convinced at all that he'd played for somebody before Newcastle. So yeah. you learn something new every day. Lone spell at Sunderland. He can't be a uh, true magpie, I guess, if he's played for both. But <laughs> so he's played for Sunderland, Newcastle, and Middlesbrough. Yeah, he's uh, he loves it up well, there, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he's living now, but nonetheless. Um, and it says current team, Derby County, first team coach. I don't know if that's actually still accurate with Wikipedia, but nonetheless, if it is, hope you're doing well, Shay. Um, let's get on to round three, even though Tom's already won this one. Um, he's having a stormer compared to last time. So fair <laughs> I don't know what's happened here. <laughs> you've, uh, you've got your knowledge hat on today. Uh, but nonetheless, let's go to uh, personality three or round three, I guess you could say. Um, I was born in Hampstead, London, England, of course. Um, on August 25th, 1979, making me 41 years old now. Hmm. And no, it's not Simon Dawkins. <laughs> uh, see, nah, I've, nah, I've got, got nothing. Yeah, pass. Okay, fair enough. Um, my youth career was spent at Nottingham Forest um, before I then moved on to the senior squad at Forest, uh, spending uh, time there from 1996 to 2003. In between that time, I had loan spells at Hacker. And Ipswich Town. Hmm. This might be the best one. I thought this one would be easy, but just because I mean, I don't think this is right because I don't think he's born in London, but he did start as a Nottingham Forest youngster. Jermaine Genus. Tom, how about you? 
It sounds like a, that sounds like a decent guess to me, but do, does the fact that you're coming to me mean that that's wrong? No, it doesn't mean anything. I'm actually getting better at this game and not saying no before someone gives me a question. I need to let the round end. So look at I me. Think, I think that's that's quite a good guess. How, is that Forest a long? So this this player is at Forest a long time, mate, like seven years. Uh, youth, yeah, youth career, and then moved on, or basically, I yeah, moved on to the senior squad to the O three. Um, I think Jermaine Genus might be right. That's a good shout. Um, but for the sake of guessing somebody else. Did um did Marlon Harewood ever play for Forest? Am I making that up? It's three Marlon for Harewood. three. Look at this oh, guy. Wow. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> the hat of knowledge has moved over to Todd Nightingale. That's impressive. That is very impressive. I don't know what to say, guys. Uh, just take taking myself by surprise. I'm gonna go and buy a buy a lottery ticket after this. <laughs> you, you might want to. What did what gave it away? Hack alone or what? No, um, uh, I don't know. I just couldn't. Enough. Hacker, no, that, that was not. That didn't give it away. I don't know. Where is I just, Hacker? I couldn't think of. I couldn't think of uh, many. It's, well, it's a lot. It's a long time at Forest. I thought I remembered Harewood playing for Forest, but then as soon when Simon said Jermaine Genus, I thought Genus was was right. To be fair, I, I think I'm pretty sure Genus was born in Nottingham. To be like, I, I think he came mm. for that system because he was born there. But I just I couldn't think of anyone else who'd had his <laughs> youth career at Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I played for better. I think we need to bring Danny or Seb back or something to have more than two rounds, to be honest. But uh, maybe they'll get their crack next time, of course. Uh, to read out the rest of Harewood's career, um, I then spent four years at West Ham United from 03 to 07 before moving to Villa from 07 to 2010 with loan spells at Wolves and Newcastle in that time, both in 09. I then moved on to Blackpool for a year, uh, Barnsley on loan during that time. Um, and then it just kind of gets absolutely crazy from here. Uh, Guangzhou, RNF, uh, Forest again, Barnsley, Bristol City, Hartlepool United, and finished in the 2015-2016 season with Newton Town. Wow. Yeah, wow so there you go. Good feed, feed the hair and he will probably miss. You know what, though? <laughs> like, fair enough. He made 571 appearances in his career, senior appearances, 144 goals. Is that a, would you say that's a decent ratio? I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, 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 bad. De- that's decent. I remember yeah. he, scored a hat, he scored a hat trick for West Ham against us, didn't he? Not long yeah. before we signed. I think that was why we signed him pretty much. Yeah. I, I remember the, when, when, we, when we had him, there was one season where, he had the spell of a few months of he t- like coming off the bench and scoring like fairly regularly. I remember he, pretty sure he scored like a bicycle kick at Anfield in a two-two draw. I think he did. Yeah, I think he did actually. And I remember being uh, away at Reading and we won two 0 And in the last minute, he bent an absolute beauty into the top corner. So I, I quite liked that but I mean, okay, he was yeah. like, he was never going to get ahead of Carew. <laughs> no, yeah, right. And it's, <laughs> at least this has been proof that some fans, that some fans do remember Marlon. On Harewood's Villa career, as much yes. as you might think. <laughs> I think otherwise. Well, you know what, guys? I'm sure I'll forget that we even guessed him and bring him back up in two months. So maybe Simon can have a go then. And I'm, I'm sure Simon <laughs> just didn't get him because I didn't say his height. That would have gave him all away, I'm sure. <laughs> but you know what? If he's been in Villa's youth system, Simon knows what's going on. So I'll, I'll have to pick one next time just to make it a little bit more even. But fair play, Tom. You've absolutely smashed it this time after saying you're going to actually redeem yourself. And you literally did. So yeah, fair enough. I don't, I don't just talk the talk. I walk the walk. Like <laughs> there he goes. He, he, he walks those mean streets of Toronto with absolute class and fear in the eyes of many. But nonetheless... Guys, let's wrap it up there. I don't know how long this recording will be, but hopefully everyone has enjoyed it. It's been a, a lovely chat and just good to kind of be back in the swing of things. Um, apologies that we've missed, of obviously, the Newcastle game and uh, the Barrow coverage as well. 
I was on holiday, kind of things went kaput and everything kind of flows through me with production. So we're back on a, a regular schedule. No more vacations for me for the foreseeable. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be back very shortly. Uh, of course, the international break is basically now upon us for Villa standpoint. Of course, there's still a few more Premier League games as of Sunday today. But of course, of tomorrow, it's basically international break. So we'll have uh, we'll probably have something out next Monday or something like that to kind of go over uh, the season thus far, expectations, more injuries. I'm sure we'll complain if someone got injured on international break or got COVID or who left or whatever. There's always a negative to being a Villa fan at some point. So we'll be back to uh, bitch and moan at some point in the future, I'm sure. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed. Check the links for these guys on Twitter, of course. You can tweet the team too at 7500 Holt. Email the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com. But we'll leave it there. And don't forget, up the villa. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.